Liberals claim to care deeply about the poor, but who gives the most to charitable organizations out of their own pockets? The answer may surprise you. And is the Iraq War winnable? We'll ask a Vietnam-era senator. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Well, I think that Iran is very much involved in providing um, either the technology or the weapons themselves for these explosively formed projectiles. That's the new Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates. He's saying that Iran is helping the insurgents in Iraq fighting our troops. Can we win the war in Iraq? Later in the program, we'll have former New York Senator James Buckley, Vietnam-era senator, who said that war was winnable. He also believes the current war is winnable. We'll talk to him about how we can win the war in Iraq. Don't miss that at the half hour. Also, a very interesting story coming out of the state of Washington. If you'll remember, last summer, a court struck down same-sex marriage there. Well, now a, a group of gay marriage supporters is pushing forth a ballot initiative that would limit marriage in that state to couples willing and able to have children. As a matter of fact, Dr. Johnson, the measure would also dissolve the union of those who remain childless three years after marriage. Very strange. Wow. Well, folks, um, do you give to your church? Do you give to the poor? Do you give to the local rescue mission? Do liberals give more than conservatives? This show is about the Christian worldview and actually a more conservative kind of worldview. A lot of people think that conservatives are stingy and liberals are generous. Who really cares? Our next guest has written a book entitled, Who Really Cares? America's Charity Divide, who gives, who doesn't, and why it matters. Arthur Brooks, welcome to the program. Hi, Jerry. Great to be here. All right, Arthur, let's, uh, let's answer that uh, basic question. You've written a whole book. You've done a lot of research on this topic. Uh, who is giving, conservatives or liberals? Well, right from the outset, it's worth saying that Americans in general are giving. America, uh, the United States, is a more charitable country than any other country that we've been able to ever get any information on uh, compared to the Europeans. 
the Americans are far away giving more at every level and, and every type of giving, time, money, and everything else that we've been able to measure. So we have a lot to feel good about on, on that plane. Hey, but can I interrupt you for a minute? Because it seems to me that the Europeans are always um, criticizing the United States when it comes to you know international schemes and programs of you know pitching in on these funds and so forth. But what you're saying is Americans or more generous than Europeans. Yeah, absolutely. We we pay for things in a different way. We uh, the United States is a land of private initiative is the, is the bottom line. So to give you an example of exactly how we don't understand each other between the United States and Europe, you take the the South Asian tsunami. When that happened, uh, the United States pledged at the governmental level 350 million dollars. That was less than Germany pledged and that that led to outrage in Europe about how stingy the United States was toward the world's needy. They didn't pay attention to the fact that the United States, that its citizens privately gave $1.5 billion. The the fact of the matter is the Europeans didn't count that because they don't give that way. And so, uh, consequently, that kind of giving doesn't even show up on the on the the mental radar of of our friends in Europe. Now, that's a big problem if you're trying to count things right. Obviously, uh, but that is one of the ways that the United States is most characteristically different uh, from uh, people from other countries. Now, to give you an idea how big that is, the average American family gives three and a half times more dollars per year than the average French family, seven times more than the average German family, and 14 times more than the average Italian family. All of this stuff stands up if you correct for income and tax differences and all this. This is truly a cultural difference. The European model, the government takes care of the needy. The American model, uh, the citizenry, um, individuals, uh, churches, and so forth, help care, take care of the needy then. it's Well, and in fact, in the United States, the government still does a lot to take mm-hmm. care of people who are who are in need, but we can't get rid of private charitable giving. In fact, it plays too big a role in, in how we take care of each other. But, but even more to the point, one of the things that the most exciting parts of research on charity suggest is that the big beneficiaries of charitable giving in this country are the givers themselves. What you find is that people who give live longer, they're happier, they're more successful in their jobs, they live in stronger communities. The fact of the matter is, if we turn everything over to the state and we get rid of our charitable giving and our charitable volunteering and all the ways that we band together and serve each other, we're going to pay the price all over the place in terms of happiness, health, prosperity, and, and even the strength of our nation. Our guest is Arthur Brooks. He's professor of public administration at the University of Syracuse. The book is Who Really Cares? And Professor Brooks, what about religious people? They are motivated to give. Are they the biggest givers in America? By far. As a matter of fact, if you look in the United States, it is true that people give at different levels. And your question at the outset, which I didn't really address well enough yet, was whether conservatives give as much as liberals. And and the fact of the matter is that they give, generally speaking, more than liberals. But it's not because of politics. It actually has to do with other forces that go deeper than politics. The number one, by far, is, is religious faith. As a matter of fact, what I've been able to find as an economist is if I can ask somebody just one question about their charitable giving, it's going to be about their faith and how they practice it. It it is so different between religious people and secularists and their tendency to give. And and I'll give you a couple quick examples. You find that religious people are 25 percentage points more likely to give money and give three and a half times more money away per year despite having the same income as secularists. Now, when I present that information to the secular folks that generally speaking tell me, well, that's just religious people giving to their churches, but, but that's false. 
secular people give less to every kind of cause, including to explicitly non-religious stuff. So, so does it follow that the religious people are giving more also to secular causes? To everything. As a matter of fact, religious people are twice as likely to give blood as hmm. secular people are. They're, they're 10 percentage points more likely to give to, to things that have no relationship whatsoever to churches or other houses of worship. There are 21 percentage points more likely to volunteer. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if it were not for religious people in your community, your PTA would shut down. Uh, our guest again is Arthur Brooks. He's written the book, Who Really Cares? Arthur, let me ask you this question. Uh, I remember seeing the red state map and the blue state map for the last two cycles of presidential elections. Uh, who is more generous, the red state vote, the blue state voter? Well, the first thing to point out is that, you know, geography doesn't make you generous, of course. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you move across the state line from Vermont to New Hampshire, you're not suddenly going to drop your charity. Uh, because it belongs to people, but there are cultural differences between the states. And what you do, what you find is that when you measure charitable giving as a percentage of people's income, the sacrifice that they give, the red states give like crazy. What you find, for example, is if you look red state, blue state, being if you voted for Bush or you voted for Kerry in the last election, obviously, and you find that of the 25 states in the United States that give above average amounts of their income, it's got to be half, obviously. 24 of those went for Bush in the last election. Mm. That is amazing. So the blue states are more European, the red states uh, more maybe uh, a little more uh, representing Americana. Let me uh, switch gears just a moment, and um, I want you to listen. You also, um, it's not just about charitable giving, uh, your emphasis, your study. You are a professor of public administration at Syracuse University's Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs. We've been talking about presidential politics here and what some of the candidates are promising and offering. I want you to listen to a quote from Hillary Clinton and talk about this in terms of economics. The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits and I want to put them into a strategic energy fund. All right, so here's Hillary Clinton said, I want to take these profits, and I want to do some things with these profits. I mean, do you really think uh, this is the kind of economic uh, model we want in America? Well, you know, I heard that quote, of course, when she first made it. And uh, if she actually truly believed, she's my senator, incidentally, if she truly believed <laughs> that it was a good, it's a good economic idea to go take a company's profits, we're... we're and in fact, she were elected president, and this were to be the, the law of the land, we would have no economic growth. In fact, the matter is that our economy would collapse. This is the fundamental basis of the capitalist system, is to let companies that prosper uh, enjoy the fruits of their prosperity. Now, I have to say, honestly, that my guess is that that was just a little bit of loose talk. She and meant I to tax maybe these profits. I think that's what what she meant was not to take these profits. I think that what she meant was to figure out a system in which we can share them a little bit more. Now, we can disagree very strenuously on that, but I, I certainly don't think that she's turned into Ralph Nader. Mm. We could have been a Freudian slip, though. I think it may be in her heart to do that. Let me <laughs> play one other soundbite from Hillary, and this is about universal health care. Right. One of the goals that I will be presenting is health insurance for every child and universal health care for every American. That will be you know, a very major part of my campaign. All right, Arthur, look, your book is Who Really Cares? And mm-hmm. I think there's this theme or an assumption that uh, liberals uh, care 
conservatives don't care. And because liberals care, they want universal health care for everybody. But that's going to cost money. Is that the most effective way for us to take care of folks? Uh, what do you think about our plan? Well, you know, the, the, everybody says I think everybody should be covered. Everybody should receive insurance. The, 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 tr- the devil's in the details, as they say. The American health care system represents one-seventh of our economy. You can't nationalize a seventh of our economy with having significant repercussions for, in, in a lot of different ways, in economic growth and quality of life and the tendency for people to even innovate. So under those circumstances, my guess is that this is loose talk. I mean, I, don't, I can't see any Democrats being able to achieve this. I mean, when we think about it, you know, people throw out the numbers that 45 million Americans are, are not covered by health care uh, or don't have organized health care plans. But when you look at the numbers clearly, you find that of the vast majority of these people are young folks that are not electing to take advantage of major medical insurance. What do we do when we think that people are making the wrong decisions? If we don't give people the liberty to make wrong decisions, we are a fundamentally different country. Arthur Brooks, author of the book, Who Really Cares? Arthur, thank you for being with us today. We're giving away, by the way, two free copies of your book to the first two callers that call in today on the show. We hope to have you back. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Penna. All right. Folks, the number is 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. We're going to give away two free copies of this book to the first two callers today. Maybe you have a comment about giving, a comment about Hillary Health Care, Hillary taking profits from the old companies. Uh, you know, as we think about Hillary Health Care, she said she wants universal health care. Many people are looking to the European model, not only of giving, but the European model of health care. Everybody's covered, particularly in the UK or in Canada. Recently, we had Dr. David Cook, medical ethicist from the UK here on our program. Here's what he said about the British health care system that we might say we want. Well, I can tell you, you can have a British healthcare system if you're willing to pay the level of taxation that it costs. You can have a British healthcare system if you take away choice from the individuals and you have to go to set doctors in set times. You can have a British healthcare system if you're willing to accept the delays. All right, do you want Hillary Healthcare? We'll talk about that when we come back. The number is 800-881-9270. What about the homosexual marriage group saying, hey... If we have to have children to have marriage, heterosexual couples should too. We'll talk about that later in the program. And let's remember that Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a good thing that conservative Christians give more than liberals and unbelievers. We ought to be givers because that's what our Lord and Savior taught us to do. We'll be right back. Like any skill, the more information you have and the more great people you can learn from, all the better. The Criswell College in Dallas wants to help you as a church pastor. Tuesday, February 13th, attend a focused day of instruction and preaching sponsored by the Jerry Vines Institute of Biblical Preaching featuring Dr. Herschel York. Attending will hone your skill and bring you to the next level. Learn from Dr. David Allen, director of the Center of Expository Preaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Allen's credits include being a Criswell graduate and founding director of the Jerry Vines Institute of Biblical Preaching at the Criswell College. Criswell College President Dr. Jerry Johnson will also speak. 
Registration through February 6th is $35. $45 afterwards, $20 for students. The Griswold College has more information at 800-899-0012. 800-899-0012. Your preaching of the Word is a calling from the Lord. Join us February 13th at the Criswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. I think that there are some serial numbers. There may be some markings on some of the, of some of the projectile fragments that we found. That's new Defense Secretary Robert Gates. He's saying that there are Iranian markings on the weapons that are killing our troops in Iraq. Can we win in Iraq with Iran helping the insurgents? Coming up in the very next segment, we'll have former New York Senator James Buckley, who says we could have won in Vietnam. We can still win in Iraq. We need to learn the lessons of Vietnam. Do not miss that next segment. But right now, we've got callers on the line, Penna. Uh, we've got, and by the way, we've given away our two books. We've got James Abraham and Deborah Miller. They've called in. They're going to get their free copy of the book, Who Really Cares? Let's go to Deborah right now in West Texas. Deborah, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, how are you? Doing great. What's up? Well, I just called to say that I don't really consider myself either a Democrat or a Republican. I consider myself a Christian first, and I, I believe in giving freely. Mm. You know, our donations, I don't consider it a Republican matter or a Democrat matter. And I also wanted to comment on Hillary's comments. In my opinion, it's like a used car salesman. She's going to try to tell everybody what they want to hear so they'll vote for her. Mm. Well, I think that's an interesting comment, Deborah. You know, there's a famous uh, economic philosopher who said, you know, political philosopher, once people in a democracy realize that they can vote benefits to themselves it's sort of the end of the democrat system uh the effectiveness of it and i do believe uh, politicians are pandering when they begin to promise giveaways such as giving away health insurance to every american well certainly everyone wants to vote for that everybody wants to get free health insurance but somebody has to pay for that and we move closer and closer to philosophical socialism or actually a soviet style Healthcare delivery system and a Soviet-style healthcare system. We don't want that. And, exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much for calling, Deborah. We're sending that book to you. Next caller on the line, Carol from Plano. Carol, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Certainly. Well, my comment is it's no surprise to me that Christians are more generous than uh, secular people, although I thought there was a little misnomer there that the only... Uh, that it's not only for religious areas, as he gave the example of giving blood, because my church regularly has blood drives. The way I view it, you know, when you're a Christian, that affects all areas of life. So, of course, you, your generosity wouldn't be limited to just religious institutions. But I think uh, some people have asked Professor Brooks if, uh, well, doesn't this just mean that Christians are giving to their churches and that's why they're bigger givers? But re what it really does and what his research shows is that, that it goes way beyond that. It goes to blood. It goes to what you do for charities and also even secular charities, that Christians are the biggest givers to even the secular charities. And I thought that was very interesting. Well, I think one of our uh, producers, Larry Williams, have just sent over the message here. Conservatives make money and give money. 
liberals take it from them <laughs> and give it away. Well, that's what we heard from Hillary Clinton in the last segment. She wants to take the profits, the oil company, and you know put it into some government program. Uh, it was very interesting to me that uh, Professor Brooks said, look, the Europeans, their model is government does all the charity. The Americans and then the conservatives and the Christians within America, their model is that individuals, churches, and communities have that primary obligation uh, to do works of benevolence. And I think that's the most effective work of benevolence, uh, the most effective system of delivering it when it's local. Well, folks, thank you for calling. We'll send those two books to James and to Deborah. But, uh, Penna, uh, a lot happening today uh, on the marriage front, the last two or three days, of course, uh, conservatives have been gaining ground and Christians on uh, the battle for marriage. Uh, but uh, we have to always be vigilant. There always seems to be a new tactic, a new attack. Tell us what's happening up in the Northwest. It's very interesting. Well, you know, Jerry, the court cases have been all leaning in favor of marriage. Marriage has been upheld in the courts. And this happened in the state of Washington, which was one of the states where if uh, marriage was going to be overturned anywhere, some people thought it might be there. But the court there said no, uh, that marriage is between one man and one woman last summer. Well, a group of gay marriage supporters uh, is basically trying to parody that now with some initiatives. And they are talking about beginning to collect signatures for a ballot initiative that would limit marriage in that state to couples who say they are willing and able to have children. As a matter of fact, if they got married and they didn't have children within three years, according to this initiative, their marriage would be dissolved. Now, this is just kind of way out there and ridiculous, but what it does is make a statement. And uh, they're they're jumping off the fact that the court decisions all say something about the fact that marriage is the best place to raise children. And so we're going to uphold marriages between one man and one woman so the biological parents of the biological children can make a family, and this is good for society. But these people don't care as much about what's good for society as they do about what's good for their own sexual desires, and that's what they're pushing for. Well, the biblical pattern is one man and one woman, and that is God's plan for procreation. We see that in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God said, uh, uh, have dominion, be fruitful, and multiply, fill the earth. That is God's natural order for human sexuality and human procreation. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a cute tactic, I think, that mm -hmm. they're trying. Uh, I don't think anyone's really going to take that too seriously. But it does show the bankruptcy, I think, of the so-called homosexual marriage movement. But I think, you know, really both parties are going to have to come to terms, Penna, with this issue as we look at the 2008 elections. And they can't be playing games. And there's a good bit of that going on. In fact, you know, uh, people are often saying, well, the Republicans, you know, are marching lockstep on the social issues. They're the intolerant party. And actually, my concern is that the Republicans are too tolerant on this issue, uh, too wishy-washy. They're all over the map on this issue. And I'm thinking of one of the front runners, uh, John McCain. I want our listeners to hear again what John McCain said on national television about so-called gay or homosexual marriage. I think uh, I think that gay marriage should be allowed if there's a ceremony kind of thing, if you want to call it that. I, I don't have any problem with that. Well, there he is. And folks, uh, you need to know, uh, just yesterday again on CNN, or I think two days ago, um, Dr. Dobson responding on this show to that quote from John McCain uh, was on Anderson Cooper. It was on Wolf Blitzer, uh, the Jerry Johnson live soundbite 
from um, James Dobson saying, you know, there's no way that uh, conservative Christians should go for this. Let's hear Dr. Dobson. Speaking as a private individual, I would not vote for John McCain under any circumstances. All right, folks, what do you think? The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. And, you know, a lot of people email me and say, oh, this show sounds like you're a Republican or you can't be a Christian and a Democrat. And, I mean, this is an example, Penn, I think, where we're very clear to be equal opportunity critics, salt and light for both parties and both philosophies. There are many Republicans that have this marriage issue wrong, and I think conservative Christians need to speak up, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, and demand that their uh, political leaders stand for the family. Well, Rudy Giuliani is a Republican, and he has it wrong. John McCain uh, backtracked a little bit later after he made that statement and said, well, I'm talking about the benefits of marriage. But what really is at stake here is the redefinition of marriage. And some homosexuals will, will accept benefits and not the name marriage, but it still changes that institution of marriage, and that's what we have to stand strong against, and that's what many of these court cases and court battles across the country are about. Uh, So far, they've been successful. Uh, The uh, conservatives and the traditional Christian Americans have defended marriage in the courts, but there could be one court case, as in Massachusetts, uh, where uh, it doesn't go our way, and that's when the floodgates begin to open. All right, we've got Adam on the line from Dallas. Adam, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yes, I'm a Christian and just got married about back in June. I wouldn't have a problem if um, the state said about the child, the covenant I made was with God and not with the state. Um, above all, even if I had a piece of paper from the government that said I was married, it really doesn't matter because my covenant's with God. You know, I think there's a problem, though, if you say that uh, the church can be the place where you get married, and then during uh, in the state, in the civil government, we won't have marriage. You can just have whatever relationship and whatever benefits you want. Then you take away the core benefit that marriage provides to the society and the incentive for people to get married, and that's not a good thing for the society. Well, there, from my understanding, there's a marriage tax. Financially, there's not a purpose to get married most health insurance companies would um yeah i guess they would dissolve they wouldn't let you um there are many uh, financial benefits to being married hey thanks for calling adam we've got to go we're coming up on the next segment let me just say this though yes i'm for heterosexual marriage man and woman marriage because the bible teaches it no doubt about that But I think Christians with confidence can go into the public square and say, this is also good, common-sense government policy. Why? Because more than it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a a mom and a dad, really, to best raise a child. And we know there are many good uh, single parents out there, and, you know, we wish them well. We're not against single parents. But government has a vested interest in giving tax breaks— and recognition to the family unit that will do the best job to raise children because children at the preschool age, at the elementary age, at the middle school age, they're best cared for, best educated, best uh, counseled and guided all the way if they have a mom and dad there. The government has an interest in seeing children raised up properly so they don't become criminals, so they're educated and uh, not violent Government should support that family unit. It's good 
for the general welfare of our country. When we come back, can we win in Iraq? Former New York Senator James Buckley says, we could have won in Vietnam. We can win in Iraq. We need to learn the lesson of Vietnam. Let's talk about it when we come back. Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter from Criswell College. We'll be right back. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Well, I think that Iran is very much involved in providing um, either the technology or the weapons themselves for these explosively formed projectiles. That is current Defense Secretary Robert Gates saying that Iran is helping the insurgents in Iraq that are killing our soldiers. With the interference of Iran, can we win the war in Iraq? With us to talk about it, federal judge James Buckley. He is a former U.S. Senator from New York, also under Secretary of State under President Ronald Reagan. In fact, he's the only living American to have served as a high official in all three branches of the federal government. Welcome to the program, Judge Buckley. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Judge Buckley, tell me this. Do you believe, I mean, you were a senator during the Vietnam era. Do you believe this is another Vietnam, as Ted Kennedy says? And if it is, uh, what is the lesson about it being another Vietnam? Well, it, uh, in the important current context, yes, it is another Vietnam. And I'm talking uh, not about the fight and the nature of the fight going on, but the nature of the escalating opposition in the United States Congress. Mm. In Vietnam, we, we were actually, the Vietnamese were, uh, South Vietnamese were actually winning. Uh, towards the last two years, there were no American troops involved on the ground, uh, but we had the obligation under the Paris Accords to supply them with the ammunition and armament they required to offset what was being supplied by the <coughs> the, the uh, communist bloc. But because of agitation here at home, eventually the United States Congress cut off further funding. And without new supplies of ammunition, without new supplies of gasoline, they, the South Vietnamese had to capitulate. And the North Vietnamese afterwards boasted about the fact that they won the war not on the battlefield but through politics inside the United States. And today we have a half dozen senators uh, who uh, have announced they want to become president two years from now. And it is to their political advantage to start escalating the opposition to what's going on. And this is dangerous in terms of the signals it sends out it encourages uh, sustained opposition abroad. It undercuts what our troops are trying to do. And if we, in the end, are seen to have not had the sticking power to stay with our commitments and our undertakings, we invite extraordinary consequences in the future. In the case of Vietnam, uh, the Soviet Union responded to our retreat by 
expanding into uh, South Yemen, into Ethiopia, Mozambique, Afghanistan, and even put out uh, beachheads in the, United St- in the Western Hemisphere in Nicaragua and El Salvador. So we're playing for high stakes, and what's happening in Congress now with these various resolutions is undercutting the ability of, of the United States to maintain a credible posture in the world. Judge Buckley, then if the public can be supportive, we can win the political, the, the PR battle here in our country, do you believe that the military battle is winnable in Iraq? Well, I think it depends on uh, how you define your objective. Uh, I've never, frankly, bought the idea that we can give instant democracy uh, uh, in other countries that haven't been conditioned to it over time. Uh, we first of all, we won the initial objective, which was to devote, uh, depose a vicious regime uh, that had long-term threats against uh, what we believe in. But I think we should define our goal is with the present surge that's being uh, orchestrated to say, look, we're going to give you the elected representatives of the people of Vietnam, the, uh, rather of uh, Iraq the opportunity to get your act in order, to train your troops, to show that they have the, the, <clears throat> the gonads to go in there and uh, maintain order. I don't think we need to go beyond that and to give them the ample opportunity to get their house in order. I don't think that we have to be the guarantees of peace and stability there forever. But I think it has to be a stated goal, and then when it is realized, we can bring our people home with honor. Our guest is uh, James Buckley, and uh, by the way, he is the brother of William Buckley, who's a founder of the National Review, and some people say the founder of the conservative uh, movement in America. And, you know, you are a judge uh, also, and I have a couple of questions about that, because we've been talking about, uh, over the last few months and years, about judicial activism. Um, Is there a sense in which judges must legislate morality in this country? No, I think that be, uh, they have no business um, uh, legislating morality. That's the, the business of the legislative branch. And, uh, and I think the legislative branch ought to be very cautious about doing so. But uh, certainly uh, we've been doing it. And uh, just think of the uh, civil rights, the legislation of the uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, that's nothing more than a legislation of some moral imperatives dealing with how we must treat our fellow citizens. But judges are in the business of applying the law as it has been designed by the lawmakers. Do you think this is an important issue as we've been making it out to be over the last few years with regard to confirming those types of strict constructionist nominees that have been nominated by this administration? I think it's very important that you have judges who understand what their constitutional responsibilities are. And uh, one problem that has arisen in over, over uh, recent decades is the evolution of a of a, of a competing philosophy as to what the job of a federal judge is. Uh, people talk about the Constitution as a living document that can be adjusted and massaged to meet new situations, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the Constitution had a meaning at the time it was enacted 
when it was ratified, we, the people of the United States, accepted that definition of what the responsibilities and rights and limitations are on the federal government. And if we want to change that, we got a Congress to make the changes, and we got an amendatory procedure by which to change the Constitution. It is simply not the job for judges, and judges don't have the competence to draw the rules for a self-governing people. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Judge James Buckley, former U.S. Senator from New York. Judge Buckley, everyone's talking about presidential candidates for 2008, and I want you to hear a brief quote from a sitting U.S. Senator in New York, the former position you held. Here's Hillary Clinton. The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits and I want to put them into a strategic energy fund. You think that's an American notion, taking profits and putting them into a strategic energy fund? Uh, it has nothing to do with the American tradition. And to the extent that government has gotten into economic activities, has usually turned out to be a disaster. So it's economic ignorance as well as presumption by people who uh, seem to have... Ex extraordinary faith in the ability of government to accomplish things that experience has shown cannot be realized. And Judge Buckley, one other quote from another presidential candidate. Here is John McCain. I think, uh, I think that gay marriage should be allowed if there's a ceremony kind of thing, if you want to call it that. I, I don't have any problem with that. What do you think about uh, gay marriage? Is this something that uh, we should see as uh, American, constitutional? Uh, it's a con First of all, it's nothing to do with the Constitution, but it's a contradiction in terms. Marriage is about children. It is about the family, the protection of the environment in which children are procreated and, and grow. And it simply cannot be applied to people who are not capable of reproduction without distorting the very concept of what marriage is all about. Judge James Buckley, he's written the book, Gleanings from an Unplanned Life. Thank you so much, Judge Buckley, for being with us. We hope to have you again. Thanks so much for having me. All right, folks, we were talking here about the role of government. I think this is a good time to hear former U.S. President Ronald Reagan. The economic ills we suffer have come upon us over several decades. They will not go away in days, weeks, or months, but they will go away. They will go away because we, as Americans, have the capacity now, as we've had in the past, to do whatever needs to be done to preserve this last and greatest bastion of freedom. In this present crisis, Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. All right, this is a worldview radio show, and we've been talking about the European vision, the Hillary vision, the liberal vision, where government is the solution to everything. Take private profits, give them to the government, let them redistribute the wealth. Uh, government providing health care for everybody. Government giving charity to everybody. That's the European vision. It's the Hillary vision. It's the liberal vision. But actually today we've heard from uh, former U.S. Senator James Buckley, this isn't the American way. We've heard from Professor Brooks, it's not the most effective way. Actually, conservatives and Christians are far more generous 
than liberals when it comes to giving privately. Well, when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest threat from Iran. Is your family safe? Is your city safe? Is our country safe? Iran says they've got missiles that can reach us. And if we strike back over in Iraq against them, they're going to launch an attack. How do you feel about that? It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be right back. Like any skill, the more information you have and the more great people you can learn from, all the better. The Criswell College in Dallas wants to help you as a church pastor. Tuesday, February 13th, attend a focused day of instruction and preaching sponsored by the Jerry Vines Institute of Biblical Preaching featuring Dr. Herschel York. Attending will hone your skill and bring you to the next level. Learn from Dr. David Allen, director of the Center of Expository Preaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Allen's credits include being a Criswell graduate and founding director of the Jerry Vines Institute of Biblical Preaching at the Criswell College. Criswell College President Dr. Jerry Johnson will also speak. Registration through February 6th is $35, $45 afterwards, $20 for students. The Griswold College has more information at 800-899-0012, 800-899-0012. Your preaching of the Word is a calling from the Lord. Join us February 13th at the Criswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Joining us now only on Hannity and Combs is the Imam Husham al-Husseini is with us. Uh, thank you for being with us, sir. Appreciate it. Were you calling... Well, thank you very much. Were you calling well, America... I would like to say really thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me to open this uh, dialogue and to build this bridge. I really appreciate it. But you missed the first two lines of the praying. We'll say it maybe in the interview. Were you calling America an oppressor, an occupier nation, sir? <laughs> you talking to me? All right, that's Sean Hannity and the imam who prayed at the Democratic National Committee meeting. He prayed a prayer saying, implying that we were the oppressors, that we were the occupiers. And uh, he wouldn't answer Hannity. Hannity asked him, Penna, if if Hezbollah was a terrorist organization, the imam would not answer. He wouldn't give a yes or no answer. He asked him, are we the oppressors? Are we the occupiers? The imam would not give a yes or no. Or no answer. This man was very evasive. He's appeared at anti-American rallies. We've seen that video. And uh, this guy is uh, bad news. And I'm really disappointed that the Democratic National Committee would have him up there leading in a so-called prayer. It really was just a sort of political rant and uh, uh, bad news. We've been talking about Iraq, Iran. We've got a caller on the line, Bob from Terrell. Bob, what do you think? Yes, Dr. Johnson. He did answer one question, though. Uh, Handy said, do you... Uh think Hezbollah are terrorists, uh, terrorists, and he said yes. But the thing I want to say is, as long as we have the media that uh, uh, shows the war on the TV, that we won't win a war. The World War II, we were shown as a mighty nation, and the media showed the Vietnam War. They're showing uh, the war in Iraq right now. They don't report the true war, what's going on. They lie about the war. We shut the media up. We go to all the mosques in America right now. We say, you show the Koran and you uh, worship from the Koran. 
We're going to arrest you, ship you back to where you came from. Shut up. This is America. We worship the Bible. All right, Bob. That's about it for today. Thanks for calling. You know, we've got to allow freedom of speech in America. We've got to allow freedom of religion. What we don't have to allow, though, is um, a platform, a government platform for these Muslim propagandists to get up, you know, more or less at taxpayer expense, taxpayer types of forums to... to uh, criticize our country, criticize our soldiers. We don't have to do that. Well, a later development today, a top Iranian cleric said today that the United States is within Iran's firing range. And that's a day after Ayatollah Khomeini said they'll hit us back if we attack them in this uh, struggle on the border between Iran and Iraq. But it turns out uh, they don't really mean they're going to hit us here at the mainland. What they mean is we'll hit you to the west and to the east and elsewhere. And it's because they're surrounded. We have them surrounded right now. We are in Afghanistan on one side. We're in Iraq on the other side. And I think it's a lot better with this kind of an enemy, Penna, that uh, the soldiers are going to be fighting them over there if it happens instead of our citizens being the victims over here, as we saw at 9-11. I believe the president's policies uh, are verified by this kind of language and this kind of talk. But let's move on to the, the family front. Uh, the governor of Texas won re-election, Rick Perry. He did not campaign on these two initiatives, this um, vaccination issue and the selling of the lottery issue. And all of a sudden, we see these huge new initiatives. He did not campaign on them. Uh, give us an update on this vaccination story. Well, it's, it's disappointed many pro-family conservatives, Dr. Johnson, because um, as we've been talking about this week on the program, last Friday, Governor Perry issued this executive order that requires girls entering the sixth grade in the Texas public schools to receive Gardasil, which is Merck and Company's new vaccine against certain strains, four strains of the human papillomavirus. Now, that causes cervical cancers responsible for 70% of the cases. Uh, I think it's a good thing that this vaccine was developed, but I don't think it's a good thing that young girls, 11 and 12, or even teenagers, are being required now, or will be, beginning in 2008, to take this vaccine. It's an undermining of parental rights. This is something that should be between the parents and the child. If you want to present, uh, prevent this sexually transmitted disease, then you first have to find out if the kids are even sexually active. But to assume that 11 and 12-year-olds are engaging in this behavior sends the wrong message and basically it gives us a false sense of security because it doesn't pre uh, prevent every sexually transmitted disease or even every case of human papillomavirus. It's a bad idea and it's amazing the outcry that's taken place this week among the conservatives in this uh, in this city and in this state. Kelly Shackelford, who's a frequent guest here, has said he's never heard anything like it. Uh, the number of people that have uh, come up and opposed this, they're contacting the governor, but he doesn't seem to be moving on this at this point. Seems to be a common theme here on this program today, and that is the Christian worldview about how we're going to live. And um, the family, of course, is the most important unit according to the Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. We go back to Genesis 1, we go back to Genesis 2, and God's primary fundamental union unit for the well-being of, uh, of our of our culture is the family, a mom, a dad, some children. That's God's way. And any time the government tries to step in and say, you must, you must 
have this vaccination. I think they've crossed the line with that kind of language and that kind of rhetoric. The legislature didn't even vote on this. And just one man saying, you must do this. You must do this. I think that's wrong. I think, um, of course, this um, homosexual marriage uh, ploy and um, is, uh, again, a contradiction. Uh, it, it is against God's original plan, God's original pattern for human sexuality and the family. Uh, the government also, I think, um, wrong, has it wrong on uh, economics so much, so much of the time. We, we've talked today about money. Uh, there's, a, there's a very simple verse in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not steal. And I think this presupposes private property, private ownership. Uh, in the Declaration, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All the scholars say that that means private property. This pursuit of happiness is a slogan that referred to private property ownership. When Hillary says, I'm going to take these profits and give them away, when Hillary says, I'm going to take your money and buy health insurance for everybody else with that, that is a contradiction of the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. But where we have it right, where we have it right, I think, is when we're talking about the war. According to the Bible and according to the Constitution, the primary role for government, the God-given role, the constitutionally ordained role for the government, is to protect us, to protect our physical life, to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic. And, of course, Romans 13 says, God gives the government minister the power of the sword to avenge us and to protect us from the evildoer. This is why we're to pray for kings and for all who are in authority. No, President Bush isn't always right. Uh, The generals aren't always right. But they're in that role to protect us from the evildoers. And we pray for them that we might live in peace, that the gospel might go forth. This is what Paul said in the book of Timothy. Next week, tune in. We'll be here. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.